few smiles around this morning. Not everyone's nervous, are they? Not everyone's nervous. Really good to be here, and as Bob said, it's an exciting day today. It's a happy day. Special day. Vital day. We have the privilege of being a happy church, and um, we live in a free, we still live in a free world, don't we? You know, sometimes when we have baptism, we, we need to think of it in the context of the wider church as well, that many people will be going into baptism very afraid of people around them. I was watching an amazing thing on YouTube the other day of about 13 people being baptised on the beach in Dubai. This guy came along. He was, he was a Muslim. What's going on here, he said. What, what's it all about? What was this group? And uh, obviously the girl was speaking to him. Although it was quite open, really, you could see what was going on, but he wanted to know, and uh, she was a bit reticent to let out, you know, what's going on, as you would be. But it was just amazing. There was about 20 people, 30, between 13 and 20, I think, and they all had purple robes on with crosses on here like this. But we do need to think about today, very especially, as being... An extreme day. I use the word extreme. I'm not going to preach on extreme, but God gave me the word extreme today. What I'm going to preach on today is in Acts, but it's not in our series that we're, we're going through. It'll be in Acts 8. It'll be about a man who found Jesus out in the desert. And uh, the, result, the result of the story, he was baptized in the desert there with Philip alone. And um, it's just an amazing story, really. But I just felt God was trying to impress upon us, you know, we need to be thankful for the freedom we have and to be able to go down to Hampton Beach and to do this. But don't let it rob us of the, how important this day is when someone's baptised. And as a church, we share together in this declaration of faith. And sometimes it's a battle to get there. Sometimes there are doubts that, that try and take away the thought, and they try to say, it's not that important, you know? But it is. And I think what we read, we, we'll see some extremes in, in, in the passage we're going to read in a minute. But um, very often on days like this, you will, um, people are getting baptised, receive congratulation cards and celebration cards. But why don't we give sympathy cards? Good question. You see the extreme? Maybe if someone gave sympathy cards tonight, and I'll explain just a little bit later, but when we have baptism, it's quite normal for us to actually preach and teach a little bit about baptism. So that's what today is all about while we're in Acts. So if you've got a Bible, or you, it's coming up there, whatever, uh, if you turn to Acts 8, we, our series has been in Acts, and we haven't got to Acts 8 yet, but what we've been reading earlier 
about God's plan for the gospel, for the spread of the gospel uh, throughout, throughout the earth, we see this beginning to happen. You might remember that Jesus said that the gospel would be in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, and some versions have to the uttermost parts of the earth, other versions have to the ends of the earth, and other versions have and beyond. In Acts 8, we've come to the beyond because it's outside of Jerusalem. Philip has been to Samaria. There's been like an evangelistic campaign going on in Samaria. Many people have been, been saved. Many people have come to Jesus to know him as Savior, and they've been baptized. They've been, they, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles and signs and wonders have been happening in Samaria. Well, and then Jesus said it would go to the uttermost parts beyond Samaria. And um, what we're going to read in Acts 8 is that the beginning of the gospel moving into those uttermost parts of the earth, those places beyond. Now, the Jews considered Ethiopia, which crops up in our passage this morning, to be a place of extremes. So that's why I've come to this word. Ethiopia is a place of extremes. For the Jews, it was not a habitable place for good people. So if you want to be good, you wouldn't go to Ethiopia. It's not a suitable place for good people to go. That was the psyche amongst the Jewish people. So it's a place of extremes. There was a great bit of desert in between where Philip had been told to go on this road to Gaza. Beyond Gaza, it was desert. It was desert. So there's no, it, was not a, it was not a place for social interaction. It was not a place for business interaction. Because the Jews didn't consider it was a beyond place, you know, that no hope land. And yet, you see, God is bringing Philip, moved him away from Samaria. All right, it's for the no hopers now, as he meets in the desert. And it's wonderful, see, we've moved from Briary to Vibe. And you could say, this is an extreme place here, isn't it? I mean, take the decoration. For a start, it's not decoration, really, is it? It's so black, it's put some of us off. It's an extreme place to be. But it could be a beyond place where people are going to meet Jesus. It could be. And it will be, won't it? You know, we've gone to a place which is not very busy over in Briary, to one of the busiest places in Herne Bay. And here there's an international community where we're living, and this is a beyond place. It's a beyond place. And God has led us here. And that's what Jesus wanted to make his disciples under places. I want you to go to the beyond places. You know? Outside of social activity, maybe. Outside of business activity. To a place... You, well, you wouldn't consider... And maybe, that, maybe someone will speak to us about that. And, uh, you know, you'll feel God has, is impressing upon you something special that he wants you to do. However, let's read it in Acts 8, shall we? And we begin uh, reading at verse 26. I really love this story. Really love it. Verse 26 of Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. That in itself is an extreme opportunity, and I'll come to that later. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Well, well, well. And the eunuch said, Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him at Azotus, himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, the, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I think that's an amazing story. I've preached it many times over many, many years. And at one time I was preaching and, I, and God gave me this. God moved heaven and earth one lost individual you say extremes that's extreme but that's what he's done for each of us and when we read the angel of the Lord said to Philip Luke uses this phrase a few times in Acts and it's when he wants to impress that God is, in the, is personally involved in this action and he has a plan Today, three people are going to give their testimony and be baptized. And you know, God is individually involved and has a plan for each one of you, as he does for each one of us sitting in this room today. That's extreme. 
we're not just floating in this world. God loves us so much that he did the most extreme thing to underscore the most extreme position we were in, to give us the extreme blessing of a life here and eternity. Today, if we can understand the importance of what Jesus has done for us and demonstrate in that in baptism, that's amazing. God wants to bless this world of ours. Yeah, extremes. This eunuch, and I'll come to him in a minute, he, he could have travelled up to 1,600 miles. Is that an extreme journey with desert? He could have done. Many of us read years ago about Mary Jones and her Bible, who travelled miles and miles and miles and miles just to get a Bible. When people are seeking after the truth, they'll want a Bible. If your Bible's left on the shelf, maybe you're not seeking after truth. But when the Holy Spirit's at work in us, we'll be after the truth. Now, it's strange that he should go to Jerusalem to worship, and yet there was more. He'd gone to Jerusalem to worship, but that wasn't the end of the story, was it? We live in a world where uh, many people worship many things, and maybe that's the ultimate, maybe that's the goal, maybe that's the point they feel they've come to. But there's one more thing. It's finding who's at the core and the heart of real worship, and that's Jesus. He didn't know up to this point what he needed. But may he be come away from Jerusalem? He'd gone to Jerusalem, good place to go. Good place to go. Many people go to special locations today where they believe they'll find enlightenment and have an encounter. But look, this is desert. <laughs> and Jesus is there through his servant. That's extreme. If we think what Philip was doing in Samaria, the crowds of people, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the healings, the signs and the wonder, you can imagine Philip on his way away from Samaria. Where's this going, God? There's nothing out here. This is empty. You know, it's hot, and I'd rather be back, be back there. But when the Holy Spirit, if we hear the voice of God, we just need to continue to listen to him, what he's saying, as a church and as individuals. Because the Holy, if, if we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us, he will. But he's always got a purpose. And the purpose may not always be immediately obvious to us. But if we continue on, sometimes it's hard going. God knows that. It's hard going. Sometimes it seems dry. Sometimes it seems difficult. But today, we're in the purpose of God. We're working with the plan of God, and baptism is the authentic gospel. You know, that's what's been happening. It was about the second or third century that Christianity first came to these shores. 
some people think the authentic way it came was by St. Augustine. Now, Pope Gregory sent St. Augustine with 40 men to the British Isles, to England, to this land in which we live, in about the, sec in about the, uh, the fifth century, I think it was. He sent them to evangelize England. But at that stage, England had been evangelized by tradesmen, merchantmen, and ordinary people. It was already here. Not to say that it wasn't important, but this eunuch, this man, was eventually going to take his faith back to what was then known as Ethiopia. Now, the Ethiopian Christians today will credit this guy, this eunuch, for the fact that they know Jesus. So we are now, he may be, he was their Saint Augustine. But the important thing was that he found Jesus in this extreme place in the desert. Now, I just want to read to you an interesting article. Um, and it's called The Hist Hidden Mystery of Eunuchs. And I read this partly because of the environment in which we live and, and how important the gospel is. It's called Hidden Mystery of Eunuchs in the Hebrew Bible. It's written by an actor. And he said, I imagine you've heard a sermon about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. It's still regularly preached in the evangelical churches I attended. Still, from the dozens of Acts 8 sermons I consumed, I couldn't tell you the first thing about this famous eunuch. What is a eunuch anyway? Eunuchs in the Bible were typically castrated before puberty, sometimes with their consent, but usually not. They retained high voices. They didn't develop body hair or facial hair like men. They looked and sounded different from the men and women around them. They were also mostly single and childless. Never having children myself, I feel drawn to these solitary eunuchs in a world where everyone seemed to be part of a family unit of some sort. They stood as loners. As an actor, I decided to explore the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. The author of Acts made sure we knew a lot about this eunuch, even though we never learned the person's name. In fact, besides Jesus himself, no other character in the Bible is so fully described. Now, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, that is, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury, who had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So the Ethiopian eunuch is a foreigner, an African, a castrated male, a rich person, a member of a royal court, a literate person. Most people in those days did not read, including most of Jesus' disciples, and he was a person of faith. I have often stood imagining the temple in Jerusalem with the crush of people, the many courtyards and fountains, the buzz of activity. It was a highly gendered space. Men and young men to one side, and women and children to the other. There was an area designated for foreigners and for Gentiles, everyone in their place. I stood imagining the different designated areas. I saw all the families and wondered, as a eunuch, where do I go? And how do I feel being in this space 
where family is so central. It felt familiar. In the text, we find the eunuch on a return trip home to Ethiopia. This black, surgically altered, gender variant, rich civil servant reads aloud from a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. I attended white evangelical churches much of my life, and whenever a minister preached this passage, he pointed to Jesus or to the apostle Philip, never to the eunuch. Pastors told me this passage was about Jesus, who suffered and died for our sins. They took a Hebrew Bible passage and embedded Jesus in it, saying, this is a prophecy about Jesus. They also told us that, like Philip, we too should go around and share the good news of Jesus. Oh, and don't forget to bring them with you to church. But what if we look at Acts 8 and Isaiah 53 from the perspective of the eunuch? Imagine you are a child taken from home and parents, taken to another country. Men held you down. They operated on you as you lay frozen with fear. You felt the searing pain of castration and suffered a long recovery. You grew up but never experienced puberty. As boys matured, you did not change in the same ways. You began your work in the royal court. You longed to be in a family again, and even to have your own children, but you were busy and unable. None eunuchs in the court respected and mocked you. Sometimes at the same time, they envied your elevated status in the palace and jeered you for being less than a man. You felt rejected and alone. You were sick often and grew fragile because you lacked testosterone, your bones grew brittle, your heart grew bitter. Then at a temple stall, you purchased a passage of scripture about a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. You're curious about this person. Is the prophet speaking of himself or of someone else? You read the words and it's like you're looking in a mirror. He was like a sheep being led to be killed. He was quiet, as a lamb is quiet while its wool is being cut. He never opened his mouth. He was shamed and was treated unfairly. He died without children to continue his family. His life on earth has ended. You feel the weight of these words? You continue reading and come to chapter 56 of Isaiah, and you discover an extraordinary promise from God to both foreigners and eunuchs, a promise to you. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them. I will give in my house and in my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. No wonder you go home rejoicing. There's a lot we don't know about this eunuch 
I wonder what happens when someone who looks like the Ethiopian eunuch walks into a church. Do they too go home rejoicing? God has put us in a place, and who knows what sort of people we might meet or see lost, lonely, hurting. And this is all about the gospel, this amazing, extreme gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save us. Murderers and lifesavers. We've got them in our congregation this morning, somewhere. Oh, Bev and Adrian. They're our murderers, and Mick too, and they're our lifesavers today. Baptism is quite significant because it's death to the old life. And when Bev and Adrian do their work of putting Linda, Pete and Jane under the water, momentarily they're murderers because we're dying with Christ. Death to the old life. But then they lift them up. Baptism is extreme because it symbolizes the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing the greatest day in history. <laughs> That's because it was. An extreme event to save the world from sin and destruction and to give new life to those who are seeking with him. I just hope God will encourage us to know like the words of Nehemiah said when he prayed in the Old Testament, he said, Lord, we're about an important work. So let's elevate this day. This is God's purpose. It's his day. It's your blessing. Lastly, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. That's the product of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. I just hope today that you will find the benefit and the blessing of being baptized, Pete, Jane, and Linda. Because from my own experience, and the experience of many people in this life, the life's worth living. Jesus is worth following. And the church is worth giving our all to, regularly and completely. This is the body of Christ. And it's so amazing. It's extreme. Because it's God's only body, it's his only idea that's going to bless this world and fill heaven. If we think of heaven as a place, but it, don't think of it as a place. Think of it as a very special time, which is beyond our understanding and comprehension and is extreme. Because we don't know yet what it's going to be like. But God is revealing it by his spirit to each one of us. Thank you.